Our reading this morning uh, comes from Luke's Gospel. You'll find the birth narratives in a couple of places in the Gospels. Both Matthew and Luke tell us about the birth of Christ. And this morning we're going to be looking at the first uh, seven verses of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a census that should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Friends, we're going to be blessed now with a wonderful musical treat. Uh, Jay is going to come and bring to us uh, an, an item uh, and family. So can I invite you to come up and bless us with in song. Uh, please welcome a member of our family, <laughs> Hannah <laughs> and Jay. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Julia.
Amen. Thank you so much. What a blessing. Thank you, Jay, Hannah and Julie. You've blessed us this morning. Just beautiful. Thank you so much. You can leave that there for me, brother. Don't put the glass of water on the uh, keyboard, yeah? <laughs> Friends, uh, can I invite you to bow your heads in prayer? as uh, we consider this amazing story. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we pray that you might bring a new angle, a fresh perspective to this very familiar story to so many of us this morning. Father, we pray that this famous story will come to life for us afresh. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen. Well, friend, have you ever missed a great opportunity? Have you ever had a great opportunity that in hindsight you're able to look back and see, gee, that one really passed me by. I'm a bit peaky, aren't I? Have you ever had an opportunity whereby you thought, boy, I really miss an opportunity there? The story is told uh, back in a, a small rural town in the US back in the day, they decided to have a, an open town meeting to discuss the future, to sort of work out where they were going wrong and how they can really drive their town forward. They all gathered together in the town hall, but they had one visitor there that day. They kept piping up and, and making suggestions. Nobody knew him, so they kind of just ignored him. They just ignored his suggestions and spoke over the top of him. 
Eventually, he uh, just kept quiet and stopped speaking and eventually uh, got up and, and left the meeting early. As he was leaving, another member of the town came in and said, what was he doing here? And they said, what do you mean? He said, do you know who that was? That was John D. Rockefeller. That little town had missed an amazing opportunity when one of the wealthiest men in all of history visited their town and was willing to help out and to contribute. The, the moment had passed. The, the opportunity had, had gone, sadly. You might also be aware of the story of the shoe salesman from, from Africa. A shoe company decided they're going to open up a whole new market in, in Africa. So they sent one of their top salesmen out to Africa. And uh, after only a couple of weeks, he, he sent word back to headquarters saying, bring me home. This is terrible. Nobody wears shoes here. So they brought him back, and a month or two later, they sent out another guy. We'll have another crack, they thought. And after a couple of weeks, he sent word back to headquarters saying, quick, do whatever you can. Send me all the shoes you can. Nobody has shoes here. He took the opportunity. He saw the opportunity that the earlier salesman had not seen. Uh, one of my favorite preachers uh, is a guy by the name of Andy Stanley that I got to hear preach in Atlanta one time. And, uh, and he says in his book, Visioneering, he says, we don't need to pray for more miracles. We just need to be more sensitive to the opportunities that God brings our way. Surely the Christmas story is one of those stories of a tremendous missed opportunity, tremendously missed opportunity from that little town, the people in that little town of Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem, whereby the saviour of the world was, was turned away, said, no, no, we have, we have no room for you. You know the story, heavily pregnant Mary is, uh, is engaged to, to Joseph, and Joseph, of course, has to go to his hometown to register, Luke tells us. Luke is a doctor. Luke is, is writing uh, to tell us the story. He has investigated the facts and he writes for us a very reliable historical account. He tells it when it was. He places it for us within history. Uh, who was governor? Who was emperor? Uh, some people like to dismiss the Gospels as sort of fairy tales. Uh, but Luke is writing with only a, a few decades of the events that he's He's talking about. So next time you hear someone dismiss the New Testament, dismiss the Gospels as, as mere fair, fairy tales, you can let them know that if they're going to be intellectually consistent, they'd better also be prepared to dismiss everything they think they know about ancient Rome or Greece. We know uh, stuff about these ancient civilizations through uh, historians like Tacitus or Suetonius. Sometimes they were writing you know, hundreds of years after the events that they were writing. The Gospel writers very close to the events that they are describing. And Luke tells us that uh, Joseph had to, of course, visit his own hometown for he belonged to the line of David. Uh, Bethlehem was the town of King David, the great King David. It was over the, the hills of Bethlehem where that shepherd king would tend his sheep uh, before he was, he was anointed king. So they're on their way from the hometown of Nazareth in the north down to Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. Today, uh, Bethlehem is in what we would call the, the West Bank, but it's just outside of Jerusalem. It's a, about an 80-mile journey, about a four-day journey on foot. Maybe Mary might have had a donkey. You'll see donkeys in all the 
Christmas cards, don't we? Mary's riding a donkey. There's no donkey in the story. Maybe, maybe if she was lucky, she might have had a donkey. If you were very, very well off, you might have had access to a donkey. Most people in those days lived hand to mouth. You went out and earned enough money for that day to, in order to feed your family that night. If you owned a beast of burden like a donkey, you were very well off. It wasn't like owning a Hyundai i30 to cruise around in. Having a donkey would have been more like a Rolls Royce, a beast of burden, a truck, a Mack truck perhaps. No mention of any donkey. Probably did it on foot, pregnant. You can imagine the scene. They finally arrive at their destination, Joseph's hometown, remember, and are turned away. No room for them. It would have been desperate to find somewhere to just get a roof over their head and indeed to, and indeed to just, well, give birth, let's be honest. It had been a trying time for them. We know that Mary and Joseph by this stage had both been visited by, by angels. We know that, uh, that Mary knew that the babe that grew inside her was special, was, was sent by the Holy Spirit, that this child was special, the Savior, the Messiah would save his people. And so too, Joseph, we read in, in Matthew's account, he also had been visited by, by an angel and said, no, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Of course, as, his, as her fiancé, when he finds out she's pregnant, there was obviously some reluctance. He knew that he wasn't responsible. He too had said, no, no. What is, is conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit. And we read in Matthew chapter 2 that he will save his people from their sins. So Mary and Joseph trusted each other and they trusted God. They must have known what was in store for them, yet they are faithful. They're obedient and, and they go. They arrive in Bethlehem, but only to hear the words, we have no room for you. Now, of course, we shouldn't be surprised. There was a census on. There was people crisscrossing the country in every direction. So it would have been a busy period. We also shouldn't be surprised when you think about the context of what's happened. Remember, Bethlehem is David's sort of home family town. And, well, this pregnancy is, is a scandal. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, yeah, right. You can imagine what their family was saying. You can imagine word making its way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that this scandalous couple were perhaps turned away. And by the way, there probably wasn't an inn. It sort of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? There was no room for them in the inn. Probably wasn't a hotel as we would think of it. Probably not an inn as we would think of it. Uh, the Greek word uh, that is used here is a kataluna. It means really guest room. It's only used in the Gospels here at the birth of Christ and right at the very end of Jesus' life. Jesus actually uses it himself when he tells his disciples to go and to prepare the guest room for his final supper on the night of his betrayal with his disciples. It's like a, what you would think of as a spare room, as a guest room. There is, in fact, another Greek word used for an inn or a hotel, and it's not used here. Jesus uses that word himself in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? The despised, hated foreigner who actually ends up being the good guy in the story. The despised foreigner who actually provides for this 
this beaten up man? I think at the moment you'd have to say a modern translation would probably be the good Palestinian. So I leave that with you. But that such was the, the context, the hatred between Jews and, and Gentiles, Samaritans back in, back in the day. This guy, this despised foreigner, this Samaritan, he's the guy that actually pays for the injured man's hotel room. It is actually a different word. So sorry to burst your bubble this morning, friends, but uh, probably no donkey and almost certainly no inn as we would think of it. Probably more just a guest room. They probably sought out family, as you would. Uh, we've got family coming to stay uh, tomorrow night at, at our place from people from travelling from the bad lands of Canberra and they're making their way to Maroubra. We'll take them in. But of course, that was probably who they, were, they, who they were seeking out. Seeking out family. Got a guest room? No. No room for you. I mean, you would think that God, the creator of the cosmos, could pull a few strings, wouldn't you? You'd think that he would sort of arrange things. I mean, was this just an oversight from God to have no room here at the inn? I've got to confess to you this morning that being, being a minister in modern Australia still does have a little bit of cachet, still does have a little bit of pull. I can sometimes pull the odd string or sometimes I get an inside run here and there in society. I remember one time I was actually ushered through into, a, into an operating theatre. I was doing a hospital visit for one of my parishioners who was having an operation and he'd already been let through into theatre and I fronted up and said, oh, I'm his minister. And they said, come with me. They opened up the doors, put some scrubs on me, made me wash my hand and there's dear old Athol on the operating table. He's about to go under and I was able to pray with him in the operating table simply because I was his minister. I was able to open a few doors. That doesn't seem to be how God operates in Jesus Christ. Doesn't pull any strings, doesn't call in any favours whatsoever. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords is forced to Stay, well, we don't even really know a stable. Sorry to burst another bubble. There's no mention of a stable. We do know that he was placed in a manger, in an, in an animal's feed trough. Some scholars say it might even have just been the spare room in the house where the animals were sometimes brought in during winter times. The manger may have even only have been like a bit of a, a hole in the ground, perhaps a bit of a, a divot in the ground where the animals feed went. Such is the nature of Christmas, the true meaning of, of Christmas. No room for them in the inn or even probably more accurately the, in the guest room. So they're outside, out in some sort of shelter, probably with the sheep and the goats, out with, out with the animals. I mean, you can imagine Joseph later on thinking, oh Lord, couldn't you have pulled a few strings, called in a favour? Because of course, in a year or two, some visitors arrive from the east. The wise men weren't there at the stable that night. The text is very clear that they were back in a house at this stage. Strange visitors, astrologers, astronomers come from the east, probably from modern day Iraq, to visit the cross. And they are led by a star. God rearranges the heavens for them. Maybe it was a comet in the sky. Modern scholars think it might have been a comet. But we do know that there were wise men, visitors, magi from the east. And God had arranged... For them, a sort of an ancient GPS system to come and find, so they could find the, the Christ child. But, but Jesus himself doesn't seem to be how God likes to work. 
I think there's a few things we can sort of think here because it obviously wasn't an oversight on God's part. He arranged the staff of the wise men, but for Mary and Joseph and for Jesus, nothing at all. Uh, an outhouse, a stable perhaps, the animal shelter of, of some description. That was, that was their home that night. I, I think it tells us that right from the very beginning, Jesus identified with the outcasts. Jesus identified with the poor, the unwanted, the great, the great unwashed, those that weren't particularly welcome in other parts of society perhaps. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, Though he was rich for our sake, he became poor in order that we might receive his riches. It's the great exchange, his riches, who made everything, who made himself poor in order that we might become rich. It's also a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53 that says he was despised. That this coming Messiah, the long-awaited king, would be despised. He'd be rejected. He was a man of sorrows is a song that we often, often sing here. This is the nature of the God that we worship, that understands hardship. It might also be a bit of a lesson for you and I, that if we are going to choose to name ourselves as one of his, as a, as a Christian, as Christ's one, then we, we better think twice about expecting strings to be pulled for us in this life. We should expect some hardship. We should expect that this is going to be a rough road at times. If this is how Jesus himself, God himself, God in skin, the incarnation, carne, flesh, God in flesh, if this is how God himself was treated, can we really... Expect anything, anything better. So, can I ask you to think about uh, the overcrowding in, in your heart? Can I encourage you to think about just where the room is in, in your heart for Jesus? Is there still some overcrowding in, in your life? Back in the day, we read that with the advent of computers, and we're looking forward to the paperless office, weren't we? Uh, my office still got full of papers. We were told that we Westerners, we'd only be working a 20-hour week. Well, the opposite is true, isn't it? We're working longer hours than ever, we Aussies. So we tend to be a, a busy people. We're overcrowding on the roads, overcrowding in the shopping centres, overcrowding on our phones. I haven't got my phone with me, but I've got... I've got four different messaging apps where I, where I have to check regularly. Every morning in my inbox, just from all of the different sort of newsletters that I subscribe to, there's about 20 emails there just to clear before I get onto the, my regular sort of work each day. I've got my SMS. Come on, put your hand up if you've got SMS. Yeah, I get them for regular friends and family. Hands up if you've got uh, WhatsApp. I've got WhatsApp on my phone. Our music team and a few different groups communicate via, via WhatsApp. Uh, well, have you got Telegram? I've got Telegram to communicate with our friends in, in YWAM. Um, the Bitcoin community communicates via Telegram. I've got uh, Slack, uh, another group. I've got all these messaging apps, and that's before we even get to uh, social media and Facebook Messenger. Our phone is, my phone is always pinging. I was up pretty early this morning, and Carly said, your phone's pinging. We're all there, six o'clock in, in the morning. 
pinging already. I think quite often these days today, we're a little bit like that owner of that guest room. We actually don't have any room in our life. I'll get to you next week, Jesus. I'll, don't worry, Lord, I'll get to, you, get to you next year. Can I encourage you to have a think that you're actually going to have to make room. Each of us is an innkeeper this morning, friends. Each of us is an innkeeper. We're going to have to make a decision about whether or not we're going to welcome Jesus into our lives. If you're in sales at all, you'll know a person by the name of Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar was a bit of a guru of sales. He's no longer with us. Zig died a few years ago now. But Zig Ziglar had a story whereby even if he uh, was on the road and needed a place to stay, and even if there was the no vacancy sign over the hotel, he'd front up to the desk and say, now listen, I know you've got the no vacancy sign up, but are you telling me that if the president himself were to come and stay and ask for a room that you wouldn't find a room for him? Sure enough, the person behind the desk would often say, well, I suppose for the president we could find a room. And he'd say, aha, I happen to know that the president is not in town tonight, so I'll take his room. Thank you very much. We can always make room for what's important. We always make room for what's truly important. We've all got 24 hours in a day. It's simply a matter of how we choose to spend them, isn't it? We've each been given the same amount of time. It's simply a matter of how you prioritize those hours. We all make time for what's truly important in our lives. We all make time for the really important people in our lives, don't we? So don't tell me you're too busy. Don't tell me you've got too much on. Because we've all got time for what we really consider to be important. So what's your excuse been? Too busy? I know you've got a lot on. I know you've got a lot on. But don't tell me you can't fit him in. We all make time for what's truly important. Maybe you've just got too many choices, too many options available to you. In India that we visit fairly regularly, they've got millions of gods. And that's not an exaggeration from the preacher. They literally have millions of gods in India. Each little district has its own little god. But, and we in the West sort of scoff, but are we really that much different? I actually think here in Australia we've got about 25 million different gods. Each of us, in fact, becomes our own god. Each of us sets ourselves up as god. We have gods, whether not necessarily bad things, gods like our career, gods like our house, our car, whatever it is, our, our, our bank bullet balance, good things like, like family. You make a god out of that, that perfect husband or wife that you're looking for. You make a god even out of family, out of your grandkids. Friend, let me tell you, if you make a, a god out of an, another person, out of another thing in your life other than God himself, you are asking that thing to carry a burden that it was never designed to carry. And all sorts of distortion, all sorts of hurt and pain and grief will be the result. And I encourage you to be very careful about what you are worshipping, about what you are making room for this Christmas. Sometimes I think it's simply a case of we're too arrogant. Okay, we realize we can clear some space in our shed, but sometimes we're just too arrogant to do so. We think we can do it all ourselves. 
I know this is something that I sort of struggle with. Like a lot of blokes kind of struggle. Oh, no, I can fix it. I can do it. I've got this sorted. I'm in control. I can work out and fit all the pieces in the puzzle in just the sort of the right way that I, I, I can manage. There's real arrogance about that. Stop doing that. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that he has done all the work for us. We don't have to do it all. It's, it's, it's like a professor giving you a test, like a teacher giving you a test where they've filled in all the correct answers for you and gives it to you and says, all you've got to do is write your name at the top and claim it for yourself. The work has been done. Stop trying to earn God's love. Stop trying to think you've got to be a good person in order to earn your way into heaven. That is religion in the worst sense of the word. Religion is trying to earn God's merit, God's favor, do a whole bunch of this and don't do any of those things over there. And maybe, just maybe, you'll achieve a pass mark and God will love you once more. Just stop it. It's exhausting. And one thing that sets the Christian faith apart is grace, undeserved love from God, undeserved favor that he showers upon us because he loves you, because he wants to be in relationship with you. But you're going to have to make a deliberate decision to take hold of this grace, this joy of Christmas, this good news of Christmas for yourself. You're going to have to be proactive to make time in this busy world. You're going to have to be very deliberate about it. I read a story about an old Aussie bushy recently who, who hadn't made a claim after many faithful years, decades in fact, of, of paying his his, uh, his premiums, of paying his health insurance premiums, paying his life insurance premiums, his income protection premiums. And, uh, and a new young guy had taken on his file and, and looked at his file and said, this guy's been faithfully paying his premiums for decades, never made a claim, never made a claim. I'm going to go out and meet this guy. Who is this guy that has been paying all of these premiums all of these years working in a really dangerous industry, an old bushy, an old drover, an old farmer, never made a claim. Got in his four-wheel drive and went out to the bush, finally tracked this guy down. And he said, listen, I'm amazed. Tell me, how come you know, you've, you've never made a claim? You're in this very dangerous profession. You've been paying your premiums for as long as anyone in the business can remember. How come you, have you, you've, you've, you've never had an accident? You never had an accident. He goes, well, truth be told, I got bitten by a brown snake a few years back. That nearly killed me. Laid me up for a while. Had a horse kick me after that. It broke my leg and laid me up for another few weeks, few months as a matter of fact. I, I got gored by a steer a while back and just recently as a matter of fact, I, I went down with a paralysis tick. Well, the young insurance guy was aghast. He said, what? How come you didn't make any claims? How come you've had all of these accidents? You never made a claim. The old bushy said, accidents? They all did it on purpose. You're going to have to be purposeful. You're going to have to actually be purposeful in making space for Christ in your life. The good news of Christmas, the good news that I have for you today, though, is that this one that was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, King of kings and Lord of lords had no place to lay his head right from his very birth. He says to us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in and eat with them and you with me. This is the good news. The one that was rejected and an outcast says, if anyone hears my voice, if anyone opens a door, I will come in and welcome you into the banquet. I'll leave you with one final little inspirational message that I think fits in, one final little verse from Jesus himself, this child that grew to be a man, that taught and, and preached fullness, abundance of life in this life and the next and offers it freely available to all. Towards uh, the end of his teaching, in fact, we hear this verse quite a lot at, at funerals and we consider the really big life and death we hear the words from John chapter 14. He says, In my Father's house there are what? Many rooms, many mansions, depending on the translation. There's space for everyone. There is room for you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and get you so that you will be where I am. At this point, Thomas Doubting Thomas pipes up and he says, Lord, we don't know the way that you, that you we don't know where you're going. How, how, how do we possibly know the way? And Jesus, Jesus famously responds with, I am the way, the truth and the life. He's going ahead to prepare a place for you, a place where there is plenty of room, ironically. The one for which there was no room offers you a place in a place of many mansions, a place of many rooms. And he's coming to take you to be, to take you to be with him in all of eternity. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't put it off till next year. Can I encourage you to make room in your heart? Yield your heart. Surrender your heart. Say, here I am. Come and take up residence in my life. Be Lord of my life, my boss and my saviour. I'm going to stop trying to earn your love. I'm going to freely yield myself and receive the gift of abundant eternal life in this life and in the next, not pie in the sky when you die. It's abundant life in the here and the now by letting Jesus in, letting him take control. Give him the steering wheel. Give him control of your life and live. Amen? Let's pray. Loving Lord. We say thank you for your amazing grace. We say thank you that you humbled yourself and came and lived as the most helpless of creatures, a human baby, a human infant. Father, we say thank you that he wasn't born into a palace. He wasn't born into riches. He can identify with our struggles and our hardships. We say thank you, Father, you know, you know what it's like to struggle. So this Christmas, Father, we commit ourselves to making space for you in the busyness of life, in the chaos of life, in all the crowdedness of life. We commit to making space for you, to saying yes to you. Come and take up residence in our heart. Come and take control of our lives. We surrender to you. We desire that abundant, eternal resurrection life. We say yes. We submit to you.
come and have your way this Christmas. In Jesus' name, all the people said, stand and